And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. It is Monday, September 27th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. We are heading back into our Pleasant Surprises series, and there was one unpleasant surprise from me last week when I cut part of our rundown from Monday and pasted it in for Wednesday to continue the series and left the Detroit Tigers sitting there on Monday, even though we didn't talk about them on Monday. So I appreciate everybody reaching out and saying, hey, did you guys forget the Tigers? Heartfelt apologies. Yeah, we, we did. We didn't mean to forget them, but we did forget them thanks to my... Uh, phenomenal use of the copy and paste tool. It's too bad that that's such a new tool and I haven't had time to learn how to use it correctly. Uh, but on this episode, we'll dig into the Tigers, uh, the NL West teams, and probably a couple NL Central teams. We'll close out the series on Wednesday. Kind of times out nicely with the playoffs just around the corner. And as we mentioned, I believe on a few episodes, we are going to go every weekday starting the Tuesday that the playoffs begin at 11.30 Eastern if you watch us live on YouTube 8.30 Eastern, no, 8.30 Pacific. See, I'm still learning time zones too, you know. I'm uncaffeinated, I'm already tired, oh, no. and I don't know where I am. So With the Monday ass. Oh, already. I'm so <laughs> angry right now. You have no idea how mad I am about everything. Oh, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's where I'm at as well. That's where I'm at as well. Although, I did get, I'd say about... 75 seconds of bliss on the on the um on the river yesterday oh i'd say a good 75 maybe 90 seconds 90 seconds uh because we tried to take me and uh one of my best buds tried to take our kids uh which rain in range in age from nine to five uh four of them uh tubing and um we went the wrong way for 200 yards before we realized that was just the wind blowing us the wrong way. By the time we got back to the place that we launched, my youngest child had said he was cold and wanted to get out. <laughs> and by the time we got 50 yards past where we got in, my oldest child said he was done with this whole thing for the day and wanted to go home. <laughs> we are two hours north of San Francisco on the river, and we and the lady had just told us it would be five hours of a float down river to get to where your car, where you left your other car. Yeah, <laughs> so that, we had a major, uh, we had to really uh, re rework the day there. <laughs> we basically tubed uh, to a spot a hundred yards down river, and then just hung out for a while, and then left. <laughs> And then drove back to the other car. Exactly. <laughs> it's just, I thought it was hilarious, man. I mean, we had to laugh for crying. I we're at 
in the end, I think we did a good enough job that like most of the kids were like, let's do that again. <laughs> Which I think you have to just keep trying until at some point they're like all over 10 and you can actually maybe get a couple hours of, of blissful uh, going down the river. To, to the credit of my six-year-old, there was a point where I got him into the sun. He has very little body fat, so uh, he he got cold pretty quickly. But I got him into the sun, and he found a way to get on the tube without being in the water. And uh, he said, uh, this is bliss, which is a surprising thing for a six-year-old to say. Uh, but so he's 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 going to lead the charge for us getting back in the water, I think. And we just we need a little bit more body fat, a little bit older. Uh, and the dads need a little bit better sense of direction. <laughs> <laughs> well, it'll happen with with a little more experience. I'm sure you guys will will be great on the river. And yeah, next season people change a lot over the course of a winter. So I'm sure you guys will be pleasantly surprised. But yeah, you know, 12 hours of effort for 90 seconds of joy totally makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, it was a deal. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) So let's pick up where we left off and start with the team we forgot so we don't forget them again. Let's talk about the pleasant surprises on the 2021 Tigers. And I think, you know, we're mostly concentrating on the hitters in this case because we were looking at the season results for the Tigers on the pitching side. You pointed out to me, Michael Fulmer currently leads this team in war in that group of pitchers, which... I know he's had a nice year, but I would have thought Tarek Skubal or Casey Mize for sure would have at least been in that two and a half to three win range, uh, much better than a reliever like Fulmer sitting at one and a half wins. Uh, but really just a, a strange year for this team. Uh, the guys on the hitting side that I, I like, I mean, Robbie Grossman, he's got a shot of going 2020. How does this happen? Yeah, you know, he really was just a, a super patient, maybe overly patient guy when he came over uh, from the Twins and the Astros, I think, was that's where he, he started his career. But he in Oakland, he took a real step forward because I think he just realized that he had to be a little bit more aggressive and catch the ball out in front. And if you look at his max EV and uh, some of his barrel rates, they took a big jump in Oakland. And he's he's riding that new approach. I think you can if you can combine that's a that's the hardest thing in baseball. I'm talking to Trent Grisham about that last week. Uh, You know, combine an excellent eye with an aggressive ability to take advantage when you get the pitch you want. You know what I mean? Like the two two things kind of sometimes work against each other, where you start being on your back foot, being really passive, and waiting too long. Um, I think Grossman's really found that that uh, that that mix of catching the ball out front, but also being super disciplined. So I think if uh, he's my candidate for making the most out of what he's got, and I'm not saying he's not an athlete. I mean, obviously, a guy with 18 stolen bases and uh, some decent glove out in the outfield is an athlete, but he kind of is in my like Jed Lowry All Stars, you know, where it's like he's making the most of what he's got, um, and uh, you know, kudos to him. I think he has to be the winner. I mean, Fulmer, Fulmer counts as a pleasant surprise. And all those pitchers that have done some good, like Tarek Skubal and, and Casey Mize, I don't think that those would be counted as pleasant surprises because people wanted more out of a lot of those guys. You know, uh, Casey Mize was a top, top uh, prospect. Um, so for them to like come around and be okay is uh, not quite a pleasant surprise. So it's Grossman or 
Akil Badu, I think, is the other player that's yeah. interesting here. Rule 5 pick, of course, got hurt two years ago in the minors. Didn't play above high A before debuting earlier this season. And I would have thought that the final numbers were almost certainly destined to be those of a below average player, just given those circumstances. And it wouldn't have been a knock against him at all if that had been the path for Akil Badu. But he's probably going to finish this year with an above average WRC plus unless he goes into the worst slide ever over the final week. He's got a 109 in that regard. 13 homers, 14 steals. It's a 258, 324, 446 line. Very similar to Grossman. Uh, fewer walks, slightly more batting average right now. Doing a little bit of everything, though, to help us out on the fantasy side. And I'm almost curious which one you'd prefer next year, given that Badu, I think, could still get a lot better. And with Grossman, it seems like while these underlying skills have been in place for a long time, this sort of seemed like the best it could possibly be for Robbie Grossman, even if he's a better player that we've been giving him credit for. I liked what you you said off air about the, you know the jump that he's made uh, that Akil, Akil Badu has made and what that uh, changes for you in terms of your hopefulness going forward because I think if you took the names and ages off of these two players and I was just looking at them as a collection of stats I think I would prefer Robbie Grossman walks more um, strikeouts strikes out less uh, had more steals this year um, looks comparable in the stat cast batted ball stats but um uh Badu would still have a little bit of a uh of a power edge there but given the fact that Badu is younger and has made this big jump i think there is some hope that that strikeout rate could reduce even more going forward and if you get Badu down to 24 25 percent strikeout rate and reduce that edge that Grossman has there, then I'm going to take Badu's tools because he has the higher max EV. He has the higher barrel rate. He has the high power, higher power upside. Um, and if you prorate out his steals, uh, the higher steals upside, steals age terribly. So it's Badu for me uh, for all those things. Yeah, I'm on Badu over Grossman. Could see both being a tick on the underpriced side because there's still, I think, pretty low expectations for the Tigers lineup as a whole, but I think both are doing some pretty impressive things. One quick note, uh, Badu and T and, and, uh, uh, should be mentioned in this conversation. Eric Haas, mm. um, uh, the, the catcher there are, I think wins for uh, max EV. Um, if you look at, uh, Badu in April on the 12th, he hit a ball 109.3 off of Zach Greinke for a homer, and that is enough to uh, take notice. He did hit a ball in September, 111.8, if you're looking at his max EV. Um, but just as soon as someone hits a ball over 108, uh, that means they have demonstrable raw power. Uh, the same thing can be said for Haas. I picked up both of those guys in AL Labor uh, for decent bids as soon as I saw those uh, well-hit balls. And uh, one well-hit ball can, can mean a lot. And in this case, it meant a lot of value uh, for the people who picked him up. Yeah, with Haas, I mean, I think he's kind of a, an average-ish sort of defender behind the plate. So he needs to hit to stay in the lineup in the long run. And even with that power that he's showing us, he is more of a deep league sort of player because it all adds up to a league average sort of line. Doesn't draw a ton of walks, does strike out a lot. Very typical a of the position. Of but the power yeah. is legit. I mean, that's 35 to 40 home run power 
in a world where he gets the DH, that's not going to happen, of course. But just I wonder if he'll be overdrafted next year. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I think because there'll be some risk to his playing time. He won't necessarily be a guy that gets another 450 plate appearances next year just because he'll be with the team all year or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's a it's a borderline package all the way all the way around. Although nice power, I think that's a profile that people tend to get right more often than not. They tend to bet against someone like that holding everything they did the previous season because there is so much downside with that much swing and miss, but definitely a pleasant surprise for the Tigers this season. Let's get to the NL. Let's start with the Diamondbacks at the bottom of the NL West. That is a very unpleasant surprise. I think there is probably a podcast from us earlier this season, back during March or so, where I might have predicted that the Diamondbacks would be the third best team in the NL West, and that would have meant that the Dodgers and the Padres were in some order, one and two, and yes, that would have meant that the Giants the were Giants. below the Diamondbacks, which is probably my worst call, at least from a team perspective for this season. I would say Victor Robles remains my worst individual call. Ding! He mentioned Robles. Uh, let's uh, let's take a look at the Diamondbacks. Much like the Tigers, I couldn't really find a pitcher to be really excited about. I mean, I think Zach Gallen missed time with injury, and maybe the pleasant surprise was that it didn't turn into something worse, but uh, the numbers were a tick worse than we expected. Madison Bumgarner just looks like a guy, even though he had that seven-inning no-hitter earlier this season. Uh, Luke Weaver still has a home run issue. I found most of the interesting things about this team to be on the hitter side, where you know, Dalton Varsho had a great second half, so I think he probably wins the award. And Josh Rojas ended up sticking around most of the season, and he's going to finish likely with a WRC plus above 100, I guess the thing that's interesting for me is I expected a little more power from Rojas. You know, I'm just kind of curious if you think there's one more level he'll unlock in terms of game power, assuming that he's got a spot to call his own or plays every day across multiple positions again in 2022. Yeah, I've been disappointed by it and to the point where I've thought about cutting him in some shallower leagues. Um, one thing that I like about him, though, is that he's got multiple eligibilities and there is a tangible value for this that has been there's been a number put on it. Douglas Fearing, who used to work for used to run the Dodgers analytics department um, and then how now has created Zealous Analytics, which is a, a, a kind of a freelance kind of uh, analytics shop for, for sports. Douglas Fearing wrote a piece saying that versatility positional versatility could be worth as much as one to two wins a season uh for the team and he was talking about chris taylor and ben zobrist basically um rojas is that type of player that uh is just super valuable in terms of adding plate appearances wherever you could use him um and i expect uh, that'll still continue next year it depends a little bit on what sort of eligibilities, like what sort of your eligibility requirements in are in your different leagues. But um, from a real life perspective and from like a filling in the gaps perspective, the fact that he can play for you at second, third, most likely, uh, shortstop and left field and right field, most likely. Um, is going to be super useful, is something that should keep him around. But in terms of what do I think 
his power output is next year, I think it'll probably be something like 15 to 18 homers and, and 10 stolen bases. Um, so not a starter in most leagues and uh, kind of an awkward uh, crowning for, for a pleasant surprise because it's, it's on the order of the softer end of pleasant, if you, need, you know what I mean? <laughs> We're digging to find options in Arizona. It's just been that kind of year for that franchise. But the the question I guess I'd come to after looking at the underlying numbers is, well, if the power's not really going to be there, and if what he did in 2019 was merely the result of the live ball that was being used at the AAA level, because that was where I think people started to get this idea, oh, maybe he can be a do-everything sort of guy. He hit 12 homers in 53 games. That was at Reno, which is hitter-friendly anyway. And then, of course, 2019 mm-hmm. had that crazy ball they were using so i almost wonder if the speed is where more of his fantasy value comes from in the future because in terms of just being a runner 64th percentile in sprint speed not a burner but maybe he's more of a 20 steals guy if everything clicks and less of an asset in the power categories maybe that 8 to 10 home run range is more realistic as the future baseline but if he runs if he doubles up his attempts because he gets on base enough. I think that's at least a possibility. So I could see myself in, in deep a... leagues being interested in him, even though I don't see more power. Yeah, I'm going to have a fair amount of shares, actually, now that I think about it, because we've become so barrel-specific, and even on the show, it's in, in, it's in the name. <laughs> um, that I, I could see people being like, well, he's not going to have the power, and his ex-slugging was below his slugging even, so if he's only going to give me you know, eight to 10 homers next year and 14 steals. That's just not really what I want out of a starting position player. I will not draft him anywhere where I sort of need to start him unless it's a a pretty deep league. I will draft him in a lot of places like best ball and um, deeper leagues where like if I could have him on my bench in NFBC, I would feel pretty good because that'll help you avoid the oh my god i just really need a shortstop this week and there's only one shortstop out there and it's got to be that guy and i'm bidding with everybody else that wants that shortstop instead if you have rojas you can be like well i just need a batter somewhere because i'm going to put rojas in it short and that changes everything when it comes to free agency auction bidding uh formats so rojas's positional value gives him the highly coveted crown of pleasant surprise on the diamondbacks i don't know going forward uh, you know we're, we're supposed to be picking some going forward kind of looks i maybe seth beer you know coming off of uh off of the injury um could be but there's there's some people that really expected things out of him uh, on the pitching side uh, i could see uh th- they have this group merrill kelly madison bumgar and luke weaver that all have something good you can say about them, that all have had good stretches this year and been useful, I would say that one of them will be like useful all year next year. I think I'm leaning Weaver, uh, but I think it could be Bumgarner too. Yeah, if I had to bet on one, it would be Weaver, even with that aforementioned home run issue. Uh, but there's other guys that I might like better sitting on the board where you're going to take them, right? That's That's right in the thick of the hey, take some flyers you really like because we're outside the top 300 overall. I think Weaver falls at least that far. I was trying to see if there's anything I liked about uh, Humberto Mejia or Humberto Castellanos and didn't have an immediate 
answer on either one. I think of the two, I'm actually more interested in Castellanos. We've seen some pretty good strikeout to walk ratios from him in the minor leagues. He came out of the Houston organization. So there could be a back-end starter with a little bit of room for growth there. So he's one of those guys. We haven't seen that much of him this year. Only 40 innings at the big league level. You know, 428 ERA, 133 whip. That doesn't jump off the page, but he's holding his own. And I think that means something when we're talking about a 23-year-old. Uh, one last name I want to mention is Corbin Martin. Uh, his problems have been mostly in the uh, command department. Um, and I'm not saying that he necessarily has amazing stuff, but uh, by Stuff Plus, it's it's 102. Uh, it's multiple pitches that rate is above average. Just just really bad command. And command doesn't isn't a sticky year to year. So I think uh, slightly better health, maybe better uh, ramp up to the season, maybe a better off season, maybe uh, just another year of of uh, getting older and more uh, more comfortable with all his pitches. I could see Corbin Martin being a good uh, late pick next year. Yeah, I liked him a lot coming into this season, thinking there was a clear path for him. But yeah, just a healthy normal off season is a good way for him to push reset. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's go to Colorado, also a difficult place to find pleasant surprises, but the ballpark sort of lends itself to guys exceeding expectations. I would say CJ Crone has been better than I expected. People liked him and drafted him high enough where it's not like he was a great value from a fantasy perspective, but I think he's probably outperformed even the ADP that he finished with once he landed in Colorado. And I think the the thing that really surprised me the most is that the K rate compared to where it was during his time in Tampa Bay was nice and low again, 21.4%, still drawing walks at an increased rate. That was something we saw from him briefly in the shortened season before injury cut that short for him. Um, so I'm kind of in on Crone as someone that might be undervalued, assuming that on the one-year deal he had in Colorado, he ends up going somewhere else this winter, and people are downgrading him for being outside of Coors Field. I think he'll actually still be pretty productive in most spots. Yeah, yep. Uh, Brendan Rodgers, I think, is a kind of a post-hype uh, situation where it's kind of hard to call him a pleasant surprise because, again, prospectors uh, kind of loved him, at least some of them, coming up. There's also some rawness to his game where he still reaches a lot and doesn't have great command of the zone. But I do like his combination of a 20% strikeout rate and good max EV, uh, good power numbers. So um, I think Brendan Rodgers is going to have helium next year and so i think it'll be hard to call him a pleasant surprise going forward either but he's worth a a note because i see him as maybe the most exciting young player on this team um, that has shown enough to be 
you know, be drafted and, and, you know, take advantage, take advantage of next year. If he doesn't get enough helium, then go in all in on him because a lot of the concerns I have about his plate discipline and his reach rate are concerns that matter more when he's 30 and 31 than they do at his age. So I'm into that. Connor Joe is a big, pleasant surprise that I do actually think could be a pleasant surprise again next year because no one will really be into him and he'll be available everywhere. And he could probably do what he did this year prorated, which is to hit 270 to 280 with really good on base percentage and 20 to 25 homers. I think he could uh, easily do that again next year. So my my idea for uh, pleasant surprise winner next year is the runner up to pleasant surprise for this year. <laughs> yeah, that's that's totally fine. I think the Sam Hilliard train has finally left the station. It's, it's probably not going to happen. I'm no longer holding out hope that he's going to turn hard contact into an everyday role. I think the best case scenario is still a big side platoon. We know it's easy to get corner outfielders. I just I don't think it's going to happen, even though he's tooled up. Um, but I'm outside of like the reserve rounds of an NL only league. I don't think Sam Hilliard ends up on a lot of my rosters next year. Do like that Brendan Rodgers call, but I think you're right. The cost could jump up quite a bit based on what we've seen from him this season. And I think the appeal for me with Brendan Rodgers is just that if he's healthy, he's going to play 150 plus games. He's in that sort of elite group where. Playing time's not going to be a problem at all. And a lot of good teams, of course, mix and match a bit more and cap guys in that 130, 140 range. So that extra playing time, especially with half those games being in Colorado, could be worth paying a premium for, depending on just how much that premium becomes. On the pitching side, I know you liked Austin Gomber before the trade, when he was a member of the Cardinals. Of course, he was one of the key pieces that uh, enabled the Cardinals to acquire Nolan Arenado from the Rockies. But I would say Gomber's first year with the Rockies was actually a success. Yeah, man. Trying to find uh, some useful Rockies pitchers is a tough way to make your business. Um, you know, I think just as an aside, I think the the plight of Herman Marquez this year is just um, indicative of how tough it is because I think he has, uh, I don't know if it's Cy Young stuff, but, uh, you know, I think if he pitched for Arizona, uh, he would have had like a 3-1 ERA this year uh, and be like in the discussion for the Cy Young. And that's how much of a penalty the, the park is. I think you you just keep getting proof. You just cannot beat Coors Field in the long run. It just can't happen for a pitcher. It doesn't matter how good you are. You're not going to beat that park uh, over a full season. Or if you happen to do it for a full season, you can't repeat it. It's impossible. Remember that, like Kyle Freeland had fixed, had like figured it out. Well, the Freeland thing, I remember at the time wondering if things were different for him as someone that grew up there and had a lot more experience pitching in those conditions. But at the same time, did he have good enough stuff to go on the road and consistently get hitters out? That was that was part of the problem with Freeland. I Marquez would be a fascinating player to see traded anywhere. Trade him on any other team, and I think you're right. I think he becomes like a five-plus war pitcher, and in many cases, he would, in fact, be a Cy Young candidate. I do not think that is overstepping. Gomber, before he got traded, was going to be one of my sleepers this year, and you can just look. If you look at the Stuff Plus graph, it just goes up uh, in away appearances and down, uh, down at home because his best two pitches are his breaking balls, which suffer in altitude. They don't move as much. 
So I, I mean, I almost want to take like a, I was right about Austin Gomber, but I don't want to do that with a guy with a four five ERA. So <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say going forward. I will say that the one pleasant surprise about Gomber in particular is that the the command settled down. Um, his location plus numbers are league average overall, and even his worst pitch, the four seam, is at ninety six six. So that's better than I thought. I thought Gomber was going to be the kind of guy um, that I liked because he was in St. Louis and had two good breaking balls and was kind of wild and and wasn't on people's radars. Uh, So the fact that he had league average command, that speaks a little bit of some possibility for the future. He has enough stuff where if he was, if he was pitching for anybody else, he would still be on my list. I just, I don't even like the doing the uh, like roster Rocky on the road thing, because I think that they get screwed up just like the pitch, the hitters, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, imagine like command. John Gray's had weird like splits where it's like, oh no, he's better at course. Like, why would that be? That doesn't make any sense. It's just that maybe he's he pitches more there, so he's like figured out some way to be okay at Coors that it makes him worse on the road. <laughs> like, that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't. I mean, terrible for us. For him, uh, it turned into one of his better seasons. But I just I don't want to roster Rockies pitchers, no matter how good they are. That's just where I've been for a while. I don't think I've had Marquez on more than a team or two in the last few years. It's just, usually it's a best ball scenario. And then you're just kind of sitting there. You're like, well, even there, how many great starts is he going to have? Because he has to overcome that park. It's, it's less than it should be given the talent that he has uh, to work with. Let's go to the Padres next. A frequently discussed team on this show. And uh, let's say something nice about the Padres, which usually prior to this season was easy to do. We did that a lot on this show. I, I think this is a team that we generally want to like because when things are going well, they, they were a lot of fun. Hopefully they get back to that level. Uh, but I'm looking around at this team right now, and I would say Jake Cronenworth, at least to me, was a pleasant surprise this year because I didn't think he was going to take what he did in the shortened season and hold his slash line close to that over a full season. I completely underestimated you know, what he could do with regular playing time over a full 162. He's popped 20 homers this year. He's got pretty good plate skills, steals a handful of bags, and can play all over. So uh, I'm wrong. I, I'm, I'm wrong about Jake Cronenworth, but now I'm a believer. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like the Robbie Grossman path, I guess, a little bit. You know, just uh, uh, a good eye at the plate. What he adds that Grossman doesn't quite have is uh, extreme contact ability. Um, and more positional versatility. Uh, but, you know, a 7% barrel rate, 110, uh, 111 max EV, like it's the power seems legit. The contact ability is what he was uh, what he was supposed to have coming up. Um, but the power is what uh, sort of pushed him into this, like, oh, he's like a legit, you know, everyday player and, and, and a good one at that. So I think he has to count because nobody's, nobody's surprised about Tatis or Machado and, I think so. There was like a bit of a pleasant, an unpleasant surprise in Trent Grisham's downturn, but um, I still have a lot of faith in him going forward. So he might be my pleasant surprise uh, for next year pick. Yeah, I think there's still a lot to like about him. He's a little bit younger than you think, too. He turns 25 in November. I was wondering, and it's not really just because I'm a Brewer fan. I think about things like this after the fact anyway, but the Brewers were getting destroyed for that trade throughout last season. Eric Lauer's looked pretty good this year. Uh, obviously, Luis Urias 
starting to do some of the things we were expecting him to do as a prospect a few years ago, that trade looks a little closer to even now. It, 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 it's at least not a laugher anymore in favor of the Padres based on how this season has unfolded. Yeah, and actually what's interesting to me is that um, Eric Lauer, Eric Lauer's extra year of, of team control uh, ended up being pretty meaningful in that trade. You know what I mean? Like that is that's actually the thing that's probably the hardest on on uh, San Diego right now is like the they could have used Eric Lauer pretty hardcore this year. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, just another starter uh, in this year extra year of control that would have really really helped them. I think in general Grisham is something they needed more in terms of a center fielder um, with his kind of eye and stuff. So I I think they're still happy with the trade. Uh, and uh, I think that Grisham will be better going forward, and that part might favor um, uh, San Diego still, even though it doesn't look great right now uh, because Grisham's kind of had a back, uh, uh, you know, took a step back. But having Eric Lauer would have meant a lot for the Padres right now. Uh, it could have been a big deal in that second half when all their people were uh, falling down around them. That it would assume that they would have to have gotten Eric Lauer to the same place pitching wise that the Brewers did. That's true. Yeah, I mean there have been some changes. The cutter has been a pitch that Eric Lauer's thrown a bit more here in the second half of the season. That's a big part of some of the success he's starting to have. I mean, he's just really not really throwing his fastballs. Like he's just throwing everything but a fastball at this point. <laughs> he's just trying to the slow, slower, slower approach. It's working for him. Uh, there are actually a lot of players you could choose for pleasant surprises for next year. Grisham, I think, would would certainly count if people say, well, he's already shown us enough in the shortened season. Luis Campusano is going to be a good player, uh, I'm convinced, as a hitter. He had a great year at AAA. I think it's an area of need. I, Austin Nola is a nice story. He's not a bad player, but I think depending on what they do at first base, they may have a spot they float a little bit. Obviously, we could get the universal DH as well. I'm not worried about playing time for Campusano. I think he comes up next year again and gets the bulk of the playing time, at least a two-thirds short of, sort of a share by season's end for him behind the plate. And I think he's an impact bat behind the plate, which is you know difficult to find. Like, so for all the, all the hype there will be on, on Kiebert Ruiz, who I think you and I both like, there's going to be a ton of ADP helium to reflect that. There won't be nearly as much interest in Campusano, and those two players are probably more similar as hitters than their price will reflect. That's interesting. I'm not sure I have the exact same read because I think Nola's numbers were suppressed by some injury concerns, and if he's fully healthy, like he's still wearing a brace um, right now, or he was as a week ago. So I think that uh, Nola could be a present surprise for next year as he gets fully healthy. Um, and that that might delay Campy's um, debut in the major leagues just because people slow walk catchers a lot. And Nola, if he's fully healthy in spring, will be like, well, he's the you know the seasoned backstop that knows what you have to do on a daily level to on a daily basis to win at the major league level. Whereas Campy has to you know still has to learn a fair amount of that stuff. So. Um, that would be uh, my read on it, but uh, I do think that Capuzano will be a good player, so uh, and that he's close. So that's, I mean, I, I agree with that part of that for sure. On the pitching side, I, I, I kind of think uh, I've said this before, but I think Chris Paddock could be a pleasant surprise next year. Uh, just a couple tweaks to uh, the curve, or maybe re-debuting the cutter, 
Um, you still see a lot of great command. Um, you still see good, two good above average pitches by stuff when it comes to uh, his change. And um, actually, the curveball is now uh, average to above average. Uh, so just a little bit of a step forward there. And I think we could be talking about Paddock the same way we did in his rookie season. Yeah, I could see that happening. I mean, I think Blake Snell's second half gives me some hope that he can be Blake Snell again, too. I would imagine he's tinkering away in the offseason trying to to find more options to work with, uh, especially you know, given that part of what made him so appealing to the Padres, I think, when they traded for him was that he could be a four-pitch starter. At least it looked like he'd be a four-pitch starter, and he could turn that lineup over a third time consistently. He's had a lot of success ditching pitches so far, but I think he has to add pitches back if he's going to sustain some of the gains that we saw from him uh, in July, August, and September. Let's go to who's going to be second in the NL West. The order is supposed to be based on standings. Uh, let's go Dodgers. I, I don't I don't think it's a hot take at this point. The Giants have a lead, so at least at this point in time, the Dodgers are second place in the NL West. A pleasant surprise on this team. Usually they have a whole bunch of them, and it's a star heavy roster. So everything kind of feels like low hanging fruit, but who's really kind of exceeded your expectations for this group this season? I don't know. Blake Trinan, uh, you know, we always knew he had a great sinker, but this year he added a, a slider. He added movement to his slider, uh, you know, sideways movement, which is uh, a piece I have uh, somewhere in my brain, if not the hopper, about how they've added a, a ton of sideways movement to at least three or four sliders over the course of this year. Uh, Mitch White, Blake Trinan are among those. And um, just, it, it, I think it was the missing piece to make him a dominant closer. Uh, because yes, he always had the turbo sinker, but you could see people kind of start to key in on the sinker and he was kind of looking for that next piece to, and he tried the four seam, he tried the cutter. Uh, but this, this version of his breaking ball, uh, makes him the best version that he's been. And he has pretty nasty stuff to begin with. So I'd expect Trinan to get a lot of the highest leverage opportunities in the postseason. Um, and maybe Jansen still gets some saves, but Trinan will have faced the better hitters. Uh, in the bigger moment. So I think that's uh, something that's happening right now. And and uh, I don't know what that means for next year uh, in terms of if Trinan is the closer of the capital C. They always come back and Jansen's somehow the closer again. But Jansen is a free agent, I believe. Yeah, this might finally be the end of the Kenley Jansen era in Los Angeles. Can we count Max Muncy as a pleasant surprise in that he lowered his uh, K again? rate? Again, yeah, I mean, a 20, <laughs> 20.5% K rate for Max Muncy. Like, I didn't think that was coming. I, th- I thought the the year over year improvements from eighteen to twenty. I thought that was okay. Yeah, sure, a, a mid twenties K rate. Max Muncy. That's who he is. Nope, twenty point five percent. It's the the best of any season he's had with the Dodgers so far. I think he flashed this back in that brief time he spent with Oakland in twenty sixteen. That really doesn't count because we're talking about only one hundred and thirty three plate appearances. This is another level that I just simply didn't expect Muncy to reach. And the power is comparable to what we've seen in the past, but. This is really the best version of him yet that we've seen as a hitter. Yeah, I think in a similar way, Chris Taylor deserves some love uh, because he had shown all these pieces that he's that he's showing this year before, but rarely all together at the same time. The steals total is the second best. Uh, the power total is the second best. 
Uh, you know, his batting average is, is decent as it always is. And the playing time will probably end up being second best in his career. So uh, there might have been a little bit of a downturn in some of his batted ball stats. And uh, you might have thought that in some ways the decline uh, was starting to come because his strikeout rate uh, was never going down. But at 31, he had uh, one of his best seasons. And he might end up being a pleasant surprise on another team uh, sometime in the future because he's a free agent also. And like Kike Hernandez before, maybe more of his uh, abilities poured over than people expect. Yeah, I do think Taylor has been a consistently underrated player for a few years now, and I'm curious to see what free agency will bring for him. I would imagine the Dodgers would be interested in bringing him back, but it might not work with all the other pieces, and part of Taylor leaving might be Gavin Lux playing all over the place. It might not be Gavin Lux has a place to call his own in 2022, but it might be... He's a because left-handed version of, of those guys where they're just going to move him to two or three different spots. Because their former director of, of, of analytics uh, proved that, that having a guy like that can give you one or two extra wins. They're definitely always going to have someone like Chris Taylor. Yeah, the question is, is it Chris Taylor? <laughs> it's not. But they, Who's the next one? Uh, Zach McKinstry for a, a moment looked like he might have a, a profile that could push him into a role like that someday. I kind of think it might be Lux. It's a, it's kind of an interesting idea, but but they they will lose so much money off their payroll, and yet still have a lot of, of money on the payroll. <laughs> That's uh, but I think actually uh, the luxury tax number for them right now for next year is 148 million, uh, which is a lot, but it gives them uh, against this year it gives them. 140 million dollars but if they want to stay under whatever the luxury tax is when it's set uh, it'll still give them 60 or 70 million to spend um i expect them to what do you expect them to do i expect them to sign Corey seager or what was it story who's the other story correa a correa i expect them to sign correa or or Corey seager uh to play shortstop and I kind of expect them to extend Kershaw, hmm. but maybe they instead extend Scherzer. I think they should try to keep Scherzer because why would you bet against that guy? If you do those things and don't extend Kershaw, you still have a ton of money. Even if you extend Kershaw, you probably only have sort of $20, $30 million, uh, to spend uh, on relief and uh, whatever this like sort of Chris Taylor option is. Which case, I think maybe Chris Taylor becomes too expensive because I think Chris Taylor will get a deal starting at 10, 15 million a year. Could he get four and 60? Yeah, I think he could. In which case, if you're the Dodgers and you do that, then you're out of the Jansen bidding and you're just going to uh, try and find uh, uh, some pitchers to for the bullpen, which I mean, they do that all the time. That's that's a total possibility for them. Yeah, they have no problem finding relievers and developing relievers, and they'll have Trinan to be, you know, ostensibly to be their closer. I guess there is one other pleasant surprise though with the Dodgers, Albert Pujols. I, I thought it was ridiculous <laughs> when the Dodgers <laughs> picked him up. Like oh, I think most in people my did. My face. Yeah, I mean. 
I realize he's not playing every day. It's mostly a pinch hit role, but just the fact that he's stayed on the roster, he's come through when they've needed him to, clearly a guy that's loved around the clubhouse. When you see shots of Pujols in the dugout, there's usually someone there talking his ear off, and it just looks like it's a good fit. I didn't see that coming at all, not because I didn't think Pujols could be a good fit in the clubhouse. I just thought that it was done. Even as a part-time player, I didn't see any path for him to stick especially on a roster that good. Yeah, because, you know, the walks have gone. And, uh, you know, even though he does hit, uh, still hits the ball hard, uh, the players get to play him basically on the outfield cutout grass all the way around the infield. So he's basically, there's a no singles. I mean, there's a, yeah, there's a no singles defense on him. (laughs) (laughs) So he doesn't get the singles. He doesn't get the walks. He's basically all doubles or homers at this point. I mean, he's not going to get a triple for you. So no. <laughs> it's a, it's amazing that the, that he's 4% better than league average with that kind of, those kind of limitations uh, at the plate. So yes, I, that counts. Yeah. I did not see it coming whatsoever. Next year though. Oh yeah. He's got to be done, right? No. I mean, next year is pleasant surprise. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I, I thought you were asking about Pujols' future. I'm like, what are you, what? Like, no. Could it be a. Could be a reliever. I mean, I'm still a believer in Lux. I don't think that's a sort any sort of hot take. I think more playing time is is still going to help there. And yeah, could be Lux. Maybe it is a guy like Zach McKinstry. He's I mean, Sheldon Noisy's been there for a little while now. Maybe he's. Yeah. I want to see what he did in the minors this year because I kept waiting for him to get opportunities and come up and provide some power. So he's been at a 103 WRC plus, a little old for the level. No, no, it's not going to be. I don't. I mean, it could be noisy as like an NL only league guy. I don't think he's like the next Chris Taylor or anything like that. Tony Gonsolin, like finding his command and having a good season, being healthier. I think would be a big part for Gonsolin. Yeah. yeah, I could I could see that being being the path for them to have. Uh, I like Mitch White too, as I I mentioned that they added. Uh, you know, they added sweep to his slider, um, and uh, that that was that was a big deal for him. So I think that uh, the white could be a, a, a decent pitcher next year. Yeah. I like that he starts with 94.5 velo, you know. Yeah, plenty there for him to work with. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Let's go to the Giants, who are just a pleasant surprise. <laughs> team award! <laughs> yeah, just give, the, give everybody a trophy on, on that team. I mean, I mean, you could almost pick any player on the roster and go, oh, yeah, that guy did do more than I expected. Narrowing it down to one seems pretty tough. I mean, you could say this is a version of Brandon Crawford we never thought we'd see again, or this is the version of Buster Posey we never thought we'd see again, or you could go to someone like Lamont oh Wade God. Jr. and say he plays all over the place and he might Ruff. finish with 20 homers. Darren Ruff has been good. I mean, the, the mixing, the matching, we've talked about that a lot throughout this season. They have done a lot of things really well. So I don't know which way you prefer to go with these types of awards and conversations, but you can choose a player from just about any different player type that you want because they have one that ticks every box. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even even Wilbur Flores, you know, 260 average, 18 homers, part-time play, 12% better than league average. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. I don't know... Um, I guess the it it does actually test the the limits of our of our uh, format here. It's like what is the usefulness at this point? How about this? Let's 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 flip it on its head for the for the Giants. Uh, who keeps most of their gains next year? Mm, yeah, who do I actually trust for next year? I, think- I mean, I love that Belt's about to hit thirty homers, uh, but there's been so many. Uh, Injuries for him, I feel like. Yeah. That I I just don't know. I feel like that knee could go at any time. Yeah, he's had a lot of injuries, a couple concussions too. So just a unfortunately elevated health risk there. I think of the old hitters, and I guess that group is just like Belt Crawford, Posey. We can say Longoria is part of that too. I think Posey is the one that I actually trust the most to sustain his 2021 level into the future. And it's not to say that the rest are all going to fall apart, but if you said you can only pick one, who do you think is most likely, which is kind of what you did. Buster Posey's my choice. Uh, I have a, I think I agree with you. I just love his combination of power and strikeout rate. Um, I did want to point out one thing that uh, came up. It was interesting. Um, you might have noticed that Brandon Crawford has uh, had a, a little bit of a difference in his first and second half splits this year. His ISO in the first half was 267, and the, first, and the second half was 169. Um, 
he's made up for it by making more contact and he's been like a bit of a more spray single hitter type deal in the second half. However, for his career, somebody's pointing out that Crawford often uh, flags in the second half. And I was listening to a present, uh, just an interview of Isaiah, Isaiah kind Falefa on MLB network. And he was talking about how, um, when he's at third base, he feels like he can completely focus on hitting and he can let it all loose. And there's more, you know, offensively, there's there's more power in there uh, because when he's playing shortstop, there's a lot more stopping and starting and and sprints. And it's it's a, just a more demanding thing on defense. And the reason that that stuck with me is when he's at that phrase stopping and starting. One of the things that I heard from someone who works in injury prevention at the major league level was that stopping and starting, you know, physically at a defensive position is something that they actually have metrics on that, that they track because that is very fatigue inducing. And so, you know, depending on, they'll actually track that in infield practice and during games and try to have an ongoing sense of how often a player has stopped and started in terms of just running, you know, um, and that that leads to their fatigue metrics. For his career, Brandon Crawford uh, goes from a 157 ISO to 142 in the second half, 100 WRC plus in the first half, 94 in the second. That kind of goes along with that narrative that this local person was saying was saying like you know he he falls apart in the second half a little bit because he's because of the rigors of the position. This is a long-winded way of saying, what if Brandon Crawford doesn't play shortstop all next year? What if they sign a shortstop? Hmm. You know, uh, well maybe you should feel better about him offensively as a second baseman. Right, and I think you've talked about the way the Giants shift. At least I remember you showing. Uh... You showed me an example. We were we we're out having a, a beer, and you had like, did you have pepper shakers and salt shakers? What were you <laughs> yeah. using? You turned Tommy Listella into a salt shaker. Yeah. Yeah. But the way they they ask their second baseman to be positioned, yeah, it's not nearly as rigorous. I mean, you could say, well, up the middle pre shift, sure, second base could have been almost as rigorous as playing shortstop. I think in the typical alignment of most teams today, it's just it's more more like playing third base than That's like playing shortstop. That's why you see Max Muncy playing second and, and Mike Moustakis playing second right. because of, of, of what they can do with their placement. So anyway, I just think that was a, an asterisk because I do actually believe in Brandon Crawford's swing change and I and I think, uh, you know, he really unlocks some power that could be interesting going forward with his given ability to make contact and you know, even at 35 next year, I think he's athletic enough to play even if it ends up. And the reason I'm saying this, because I, I think, yes, anybody who's listening, I think he's a good defensive shortstop. And somebody thought it was weird of me to uh, to push back and say, you know, he's, he's still an excellent defensive shortstop. People are like, of course. But even on the day he signed his extension, Gabe Kapler had to field questions of will he stay at the position? Because it's just a fact that we don't have 34 and 35 year old shortstops anymore. You know, he's the only one, and it's two years to the next youngest, uh, next oldest. So uh, I, I think it's a fair thing to wonder how long he'll play at shortstop and how that will go hand in hand with his offense. Because I think if he was a second baseman next year, if you told me he was a second baseman next year, my projection for him would be uh, 280. Uh, with uh, you know twenty twenty plus homers, twenty two homers or something. 
uh, and you know three to five steals. As a shortstop, I can uh, I think it'd be better to project him for like 260 average, 18 homers, you know, two to three steals. If we use the Goldilocks scale for the general ADPs and pricing of the veteran Giants going into next season, do you think it's going to be... Because Crawford will not be drafted. That's why I wanted to bring him up. Yeah, In, in like 12s, <laughs> I think he still could be somewhat ignored. As a group, do you think that the market's going to get it right? Or do you think it's going to overprice these guys based on these bounce backs? Or do you think it's going to underprice them because of skepticism about them because of their age and... I mean, judging from Twitter and how many uh, references to like steroids I've gotten, which is uh, that's I haven't heard that in a while. I mean, but there's there's definitely, you know, a, a contingent that anytime you write about the Giants, you're like, well, I wonder how they did it. And it's like, well, I, I don't think it's that. But <laughs> I guess it's a possibility we have to grapple with in baseball in general. But I just don't think it's that. I think that there will be a, a fair amount of, of people denigrating giants and not and not drafting them posey i i figure will have the highest adp of the group um i'm leaving brian out of it just because we don't know where he'll be yeah no i think he's a little bit younger than these guys anyway so he's kind of separate as far as the breakthrough hitters and that's the wade estrada we can throw duggar and those types of players in there do you have any of one of those guys that you have more confidence in than the rest going forward wade yeah wade looks kind of legit yeah, he's got a good eye. I, I, the barrel rate might regress, um, and you know if you do the on on per, on pace for with him and prorate out his stats, you'd be like, whoa, you know, uh, he uh, he could have like twenty five homers and twelve steals next year or whatever, ten steals. I, I'm not so sure. There's a lot of like judicious using using of him where they didn't use him against lefties for a long time. Um, and then I also think that it's possible the barrel rate regresses uh, a little bit to uh, you know his previous norms. He did talk to me about a swing change that he made to try, try and unlock that power, um, and I could see it. He's also of the uh, a little bit older age. I mean, for for what we know of him, I think people will think that he's like 23, 24. He's 27. Uh, so there's a fair amount of possibility that that was his peak season. So I don't know. I, I'll have to we'll have to do the projections and see where he lines up and see where he gets drafted. Uh, if people ignore him, I'll pick him up in OBP leagues. I'll pick him up. If people draft him thinking they're going to get 25 and 10 out of him, and they're and that's their projection for him, I might uh, might not might not reach that price for me. Yeah, um, generally going to be careful with the older guys i'm, I'm posey's the one that which I'm is all of them i mean that's what i'm saying wade is 27 like he's the young guy and he's old yeah but if wade is outside the top 250 i'm definitely interested oh, in that yeah. range i don't i don't know if he's yeah. gonna get much higher than that because there's gonna be some uncertainty about his role going into next season yeah and that's and that's a funny thing too where you were talking about the brendan rogers brendan rogers will be plug and plug and go uh the giants will rob you of plate appearances and that'll be difficult. And that, that makes them almost more uh, streamers. Like I ended up with Wade on my bench some weeks because, you know, I just wasn't sure how much he'd play. If you look at the leader in plate appearances right now, it's Brandon Crawford at 524, which makes sense because he's playing short and they don't really have a good backup shortstop. But second place is Mike Estremski at 513 and they're the only ones over 500. 
That's kind of crazy. Well, so they will rob you of plate appearances, man. You got to be careful with them because plate appearances are gold. And I wonder how much of that has also been a part of why they've had a lot of success, aside from other tactical things they're doing and the, the you know different. Oh, it's absolutely things. But rest has to be a part of this. Their their injury prevention is is uh, they they put a they've at least put a lot of money into it. In terms of how good it is, I don't know because they've still gotten hurt, but they're also super old. Uh, and on top of that, uh, injury prevention and sort of medical like that, that nobody wants to talk about. It. There's You get little whispers here and there, and it's very hard to, to get anybody to open up about it. Because I think it legit is one of those places where some teams are just way ahead of others. Yeah, the Giants only have four players with at least 65 runs scored. And this is the best offense in the National League. And I know runs scored aren't the, the be-all, end-all. It's just, a, again, quantifying how much it hurts you in that category. RBIs, they have two over 60. Just Crawford yeah. and Yastrzemski, the guys that play the most. So you do have to be very mindful of that. It hurts you a lot less with a guy like Posey because a lot of catchers rotate and share time. I think that's part yeah. of where my extra interest in him comes yeah. from as well. Let's uh, close it out with one team in the NL Central. That'll leave us nine for our episode on Wednesday. I'm confident we can do nine teams in one episode. Yeah, you are. Oh, yeah. um, no, not really, but I'm just pretending to be. <laughs> That'll be our hour-half-long episode as we close out. That would be uh, We'll be closing out for the regular season before our dailies, right? Uh, I think we're doing Friday, but then we're off okay. Monday unless there's a 163. And I'm kind of like regretting joining Team Entropy on Friday, knowing that it's going to make me have to do more work if there's a game 163. <laughs> Told you, it's, it's Monday. Team Entropy, baby. I've got the ass, so... I'll be fine. I'll be fine by the weekend. I promise. But let's say nice things oh, he's about got a, pirate. He's got a he's got a killer YouTube uh, cry on up right now. <laughs> That's yeah, pretty funny. Yeah, let's say nice things about a pirate. Let's um, let's try anyway. I mean, it's good to be nice. And Brian Reynolds is a really good player. Yes. That's about it. That's that's uh, endless. I mean, this is a team much like the Diamondbacks. They did not have a lot go right over the course of this season. Uh, is it fair to give? Can we give them Tyler Anderson's success? Can we say, well, Tyler Anderson was there most of the year, so you know that was a that was a pleasant surprise. It, it was good enough to get him traded to a team that's actually still contending for a wild card. And so he's no longer on the team that he wins the award for. <laughs> I mean, he led he led the league he led the team in in WAR, um, and uh, he was a model win for Pitching Plus, uh, which liked his number of pitches and his command of them. Um, and he was generally very useful for me over the course of the season. I don't think he was someone I started all the time, but he was generally very useful. Chris Stratton's end-of-season run as the closer has been a pleasant surprise that has been very useful for some people after Richard Rodriguez left. I don't know. Uh, The thing about Reynolds is, yeah, I think Reynolds has to take the crown. He has to. This was a really good season, and I think – perfectly ties into what we were just saying by it like i think some people thought he'd be a decent player but not i don't think people thought he would have five wins three six nine twelve there are 12 outfielders or 12 outfield eligible players who have earned more than brian reynolds this season so it's not a lot. You've got him right there lumped in with J.D. Martinez and Mitch Hanniger. Adam Duvall's up there, too. There's your other kind of random pleasant surprise that we've talked about, I think, a little bit on this pod. I mean, but I think Brian Reynolds easily inside the top 
75 overall going into 2022. And it goes back to what we were saying with the Giants. He's going to play every single day. You're going to get runs. You're going to get RBIs. The average floor is nice and high. And the power looks legit too. And he brings non-zero steals. He'll get you maybe four to six bags again next year too. I think he's probably set to to repeat uh, everything but maybe batting average. Um, I mean, the he, it's interesting that he has the, basically the same barrel rate that he has this year that he had last year when he had a terrible year and a 168 ISO. And, um, you know, everyone thought he was just a, a flash in the pan from 2019. So uh, I think that uh, he legit is a 200 ISO guy. Um, and uh, I think that the he's going to make more contact than the league average, and he's going to walk a lot. So uh, I think he's going to be at the top of the lineup, and I don't think that they are going to play those games that they play in, in San Francisco and steal, steal at-bats from you. He has 625 plate appearances this year, and I would think that he could, he could cross over 600 again next year. So even though the team won't be good and they won't create a lot of run and RBI ch- chances for him, the volume would be there. And he will probably outrun or RBI or maybe both any giant next year in just like a strange uh, twist of the numbers and how things work. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not saying the Pirates will be better than the Giants. I wonder if Reynolds is more of like a true talent, 330, 100, 100 guy who in the right park and lineup would easily reach those numbers. And because of PNC and his supporting cast, we... We get what we get, which is still very good. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Parks can can steal on the order of two or three homers from a from a player over the course of the season. Then you could you could have a park that sort of augments it instead of suppressing it. So uh, the the max EV is good. The barrel rate is good. The reach rate is good. The strikeout rate is good. He's twenty seven. I don't I don't see a reason uh, to to fade him next year. Same logic, I think, applies to Kibrian Hayes for next year. I think I've already put this take out there, but I will have a lot of Kibrian Hayes yeah. in 2022 because he will play every yeah. day. His defense is great. The hit tool is legit. He's going through the adjustment phase right now, but I'm definitely interested in Kibrian Hayes. What I assume will be a non-top 200 overall pick. I don't think he's going to go inside that group at all. He might even fall outside the top 300 in the early part of draft season. So I am absolutely in on Hayes. I almost wish I didn't have a podcast, so I wouldn't say this so many times so that I would have more of a chance of actually getting him because I feel like we might uh, cause some problems in that regard. But we cannot, either one of us, not you know profess our love for Cabrian Hayes. And I think one of the reasons is with the established walk, strikeout rates, defense, and base running that he brings to the table and the fact that, like you say, he's going to play every day, I think the floor is something about what he's doing right now. 260 with maybe more bulk, so 260, 15 homers, 15 stolen bases. That is totally fine and will be a, a, a top-level third baseman, like a top 12 to top 15 third baseman, and that's his floor. But the superstar ceiling is still there. And my evidence for that is a Max EV that was second on the team at 111, uh, a hard hit rate of 45%, and a bail rate of 5%, which is not great. It's above average, but it's not great. People do take steps forward. You know, <laughs> People do change their bail rate. And if he can just convert a little bit more of that hard hit rate into uh, balls that have some loft, 
you could see this guy really take off. And I, I, like, I still see MVP like type ceiling on this guy. Like, I'm still really in the tank for Brian Hayes. Yeah, I think. Well, MVP level is that's a really high ceiling. I those would be like that would be like 90, 80, 80, 90th percentile outcomes. Yeah, but what do you want out of an MVP? Is somebody who can do everything, uh, and there's no flaw in his game. And the only flaw in his game right now is converting raw power into game power. And that's, I mean, that's doable. I think hit the ball in the air a little bit more, and good things can happen for Cabrian Hayes. I'm curious to see if they bring up any of their prospects reasonably early in the year. You know, O'Neill Cruz or uh, Nick Gonzalez, I think, would be guys that maybe we'll see at some point next year. I mean, that will help the supporting cast a bit, too. I am a little surprised that Nick Gonzalez has been at high A all season. I thought maybe they'd push him to double A as a guy that, that played college ball. I don't know if they'd be pleasant surprises, though. You know, the, the, the scouting community really likes them. If we want a, a scouting community pleasant surprise, I think that would be Rodolfo Castro, um, who I, I don't. You know, there are no scouting grades on him at Fangraphs. Uh, oh, no, here he is. He's 40-plus. So uh, a guy with raw power, uh, no-hit tool, uh, and some speed, according to them. Um, and the 29% strikeout rate doesn't uh, go very far in, in proving them wrong. But a 112.5 uh, max EV, a 10% barrel rate. Um, uh, if you've seen the body on this guy, he kind of looked like a mini version of Starling Marte. Um, and, uh, if he makes any strides, he had like way lower strikeout rates in the minor league. So if he makes any strides on the strikeout rate, Rodolfo Castro could be, I, I talked to some people around the team that thought he would be their second baseman of the future. So Rodolfo Castro. One on the pitching side that I still like, Miguel Yajure. He's been down yeah. in velocity a little bit this year. He's been dealing with an arm injury, but it's a deep arsenal with command. If he comes to the winter healthy, looks good in the spring. I could see him ending up being one of their pleasant surprises on the pitching side. But, hey, we did it. We said some nice things about the Pirates, which they have a bright future. It just seems like it's more like two and three years away as opposed to just around the corner next season. And in some ways, it can be more profitable than chasing around uh, the Dodgers and Giants. You know, where you can convince yourself, oh, these are veterans, they're projectable, I know what I'm doing, I'm getting the boring vet. But the Dodgers and Giants are constantly working against you, you getting all the plate appearances you want. If a guy is above average on a bad team, then he gets all the playing time he wants. Kevin Newman got 533 plate appearances for the Giants this year. I mean, for the Pirates this year. What would that have been on the Giants? Number one? Yeah. So, I mean, uh, there was an article about Phil Dusso, uh done by um, uh, Travis Sochik. Travis Sochik over at The Score. Thank you. Uh, the Jeff Zimmerman uh, has been pointing to me how great a season is. Jeff Zimmerman himself has been having a pretty good fantasy season. And, you know, one of his biggest tenets is how important the plate appearance and the innings pitched are. Um, they just they just rack up all the county st- totals for you. Uh, of course, you want to do it with with quality, but um, that's an interesting thing to think about when you're looking at potential value picks uh, on those last two teams that we did in terms of the Giants and the Pirates. Yeah, Phil's having an amazing season. Jeff is going to win mixed out wars again among some other leagues, but um, 
I'm glad that the thing that they are harping on is something that I've very slowly come to realize that, especially with everybody working out the same sets of projections, if you can mm-hmm. project playing time better than the other people in the room and be right about it, there you go. Like that's that's going to give you that edge that you're looking for. It does offer some hope to the people who aren't creating their own values and um, and you know are going in with the same values as other people. I think the plus one on somebody you like is very important. Because what you're actually doing there is just saying, I think he's going to be a little bit better than these projections um, and he's going to play more. So that's the way that you can add value as a, as a, as a sort of a mini scout, as, a, as someone who's watching the game. You can take the projections and say, okay, this is the, this is the, the, the baseline. This is, like, this is what the numbers say. But I've seen this player, and for whatever reason, I think he's going to take a step forward. Or I've seen this other player that he's battling with for playing time, and I think he's going to he's going to take the lion's share of that of that playing time. So, I, I think the plus one minus one is a, is a decent way for uh, for people to sort of approximate that projecting IP and plate appearances. Because all you're doing when you're projecting plate appearances and IP are trying to project roles. You're trying to say who's going to play more. You know. You can do you can do that at home too with your own brain. <laughs> I think that's uh, what makes uh, good players great players if they can do it consistently. We are going to go before we go. You can get fifty percent off a subscription to the Athletic at theathletic.com/slash rates and barrels. If you're enjoying this podcast on a platform that allows you to rate and review, we'd greatly appreciate that. Don't let the haters win. If you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button. Be sure to subscribe to the channel to get a notification anytime that we go live during the postseason. Again, starting on Tuesday the fourth. If that's the Tuesday, eleven thirty a.m. Eastern, eight thirty. AM Pacific time. We'll be going live with these episodes. And of course, they'll appear as pods soon after that. So be sure to check that out if you're not already watching us on YouTube. I think that live is a kind of an Oliver branch a little bit to, uh, you know, to those that might have wanted us to do the night before. Uh, because by doing it live, you, you don't have to wait for the production time. You can actually just uh, just check in and Therefore, it'll be uh, be uh, quicker. It's also way better for our <laughs> mental health being. So we could do the night thing, and then you just get us all three of us having the ass every night. So mm, yeah, uh, <laughs> maybe maybe rather let us have some sleep and do it, and come have some coffee with us in the morning and do it live. <laughs> please, please bring coffee. Bring some for me too. That's the other oh, rates and barrels coffee mugs, but a rates and barrels coffee roast would be incredible. Ooh, where can I get something like that? Anyway, I'll figure that out. At It'd be some funny to point. have a rates and barrel uh, coffee mug where it said uh, somebody like quit having the ass or <laughs> coffee's like the main reason why I don't have the ass every day. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really important part of my day. Clearly, I have not had it yet. It's afternoon coffee day, so as soon as we're done recording, I'm going to walk over to the coffee shop and get myself a nice little iced americano because I feel like I've earned it today. Yes, you have. Yeah, I appreciate your support. Uh, we appreciate all of your support as well. On Twitter, he's at Eno Saris. I am at Derek Van Riper. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Wednesday. Thanks for listening.